Are you ready to study the scriptures? All right, I want you to get your Bibles out, and I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. As you know, we've been studying the scriptures, and we've been using the Nicene Creed over the last few weeks, and we've been discussing where this creed came from and and why we say it, and um, and what it's all about. It's been a way for us to really to use it as an outline about what is so important for us as Christians to believe. There are so many alternative things to believe in our culture that I find that a lot of Christians don't even know what they believe. One of the reasons that one chapel started saying this creed from our very beginning as a church plant is I just realized our culture and even even Christianity in general, the biblical literacy of the people that even come to church is so low. They don't even know exactly what they believe. And so this series has been a great chance for us to explore that, to look at it, to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we actually believe? And why does it matter? And we've been using this creed, and of course the creed came into existence in about 325 AD, and there was some alternative ideas. And as, as the distance became a little bit further from the time of Jesus and from the apostles, and not only the distance in time, but the distance that Christianity was spreading, that Christianity was spreading all around the known world, and alternative ideas that were different than what the apostles had taught started rising. People in different locations started teaching their own version of the scriptures, coming up with kind of new and different ideas that were not adhering to what Jesus had said, nor to what the apostles had taught. And so it's important to understand that these councils that were, that were put together in the 300s, I think the last one really, it was 381 AD, and it was... Um, it, it, it put a few phrases together with what had been said, uh, but solidified it, and that's what's lasted all these hundreds of years in the Nicene Creed. But it's important to understand that they, didn't, they weren't making this up. They weren't coming up with the, these things. They were reasserting what they'd known all along. They were reasserting that this is what the apostles had taught. And they, they said, we cannot accept these alternative philosophies and these alternative ideas. And so these bishops that came together, I think it was about 318 bishops that came together and in this council of Nicaea. And of course, Nicaea is the city in which they gathered. And that's why it's called that. And so... And so as they began to put this in order, they began to say who, who God is. And over the first few weeks, we, we talked about uh, how God is one God, not two gods. There was a, a man named Marcion who was, who was highlighting the idea that there was a God of physical realm and a God of the spiritual realm. He was articulating two gods. And interestingly enough, he said, this, I got this from a literal interpretation of the scriptures. That's what he was claiming. 
And so one of the heresies that they were pushing back on is this man, Marcion. And he, he, he was saying there was these two gods. The, the, the bishops were saying, no, the apostles have never taught this. This is not scriptural. And so there is only one God, the Father, the Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. And then, they, and then they, they started into this segment of the creed that it really most of our time has been spent on. It's about Jesus. He is the central figure of Christianity and he is the most, um, what we would call where the most conflict occurs. He is the most controversial. Uh, not only in our culture, but in cultures past. And so we said, we believe, we started studying about, we believe in Jesus, one Lord, right? That we, we began to, to talk about Jesus and his God, his, his God quality. And we t- a few weeks ago, we talked about this, his divinity and how firm that must be in our minds and our understanding that he is not just a good super anointed person or a good teacher, that he was God himself. Then the next week, we talked about Jesus and his humanity and how he really understands you and me because he was 100% human at the same time being 100% God. These are meaningful ideas. If you missed any of that, you can go back and uh, study a little bit about that. Uh, you can hear the podcasts, of course, online. And, um, and, so, and so now, here, here we are. Um, this week in, the, in, in this study, we're going to look at the next phrase. But there is a danger in this study because... Because it's a little bit intellectual, we're, we're talking about how we think and how we believe, and so we're, we're looking at all these ideas, and there's a, there's a tendency with our thinking caps on to think that we can, we've got it all figured out now. All right, we lay it all out, here's how it works, okay, I've got it figured out, and I've, I've, I can understand it, I can explain it, I can convince somebody of it. There's a tendency to, to treat the creed as a way of expressing a faith that is an intellectual achievement. I think we ought to guard against that. It is not an in, faith is not an intellectual achievement. We're not ha- making a mental assent to the ideas of Jesus. There's loads of people that think that Jesus is a cool guy. Loads of people that think that Jesus is an awesome teacher. There's actually people who follow the teachings of Jesus who would not believe the rest of the Bible. That exists quite popular today. And so, so there's a danger in us like looking at this and, and not understanding that there's something more. Um, and I think even a lot of Christians, they live out their faith in their head rather than in their heart, rather than from a place of new birth, rather than a place of... Mis- Listen, faith is mysterious, God is full of mystery, and it's, and it's been this way uh, since the beginning of humanity interacting with God, and I fear that sometimes as we study these things, we, th- we live out of our thinking, but we end up being powerless as God's people. We end up being weak. We end up being frustrated. We end, people end up being discouraged because they don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Today, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the next line of the creed just in time, because lest we think that this, this faith is an intellectual achievement, there's something more. There's something beyond. It's interesting, all the way through 
uh, the last few centuries, this, there's been this, this uh, discovery of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer, who's a brilliant writer and teacher, he said something. He, he wrote all these books in the 50s. He's a brilliant guy. Here's what he said. He says, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus and the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced a cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. My friends, we cannot do this. We cannot be the people who function this way. We have to understand the work, the power, the significance, and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I want you to say the lines with me. Uh, I don't know if I actually told Leanne that we were going to do this part, but I wanted you to say the portion of the creed where we believe in the, in the Holy Spirit. Do we have that, Leanne? Can we do that? Okay, let's say it together. Ready? Here it is. Here it is. Not to be confused with the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Here it is. Let's say it together. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. All right? That's the segment we're going to deal with today. Now, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, people get nervous. I mean, let's be honest. The Holy Spirit kind of has a reputation for being weird. Uh, weird things happen when people start talking about the Holy Spirit. I, uh, I come from a Pentecostal tradition. Uh, I, I have vivid memories of weird things happening in church. <laughs> um, the, truth is, the truth is, I would like to guarantee you and me a weird-free church experience <laughs> all the time. But the problem is, uh, when the Holy Spirit is involved, he is kind of outside the lines, right? And, and the weird thing is, is like, like, I get people come to know who the Father is. That's pretty easy. Like, we can kind of wrap our brains around that. Like, the Father, I get it. Okay, I, I had a Father, and sometimes we project that onto God, and that's not good. But, but we understand the concept of a Father and how he loves his kids. We understand the Son of the Father, and we understand Jesus in general. You know, we kind of understand he's the Son who came as a sacrifice for sin, that we can kind of wrap our brains around that. But then you get to the Holy Spirit, and what is he? Who is he? Is he like the, the, the bronze medalist of the Trinity? <laughs> is, is, is he like, I mean, it's, it's like we see this, is the third wheel of the Trinity, the, the, the errand boy of Jesus and his dad? It's like, what, how, do we, how do we deal with this? Is he the crazy uncle? That's what most people think he is. He's the crazy uncle in the family of God. Since I've come to Texas, I've realized that there are many, many Christians who believe that the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. (laughs) It's not true. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And so I've, I've experienced all kinds of crazy things. I have vivid memories of my dad, who was a pastor for a very long time, uh, something coming over him and affecting his body, where he would shake and where things would happen in a service I, when I was a little kid. I, and and I, I have one vivid memory of being a little small child sitting in a service and, and somebody getting so excited about what the Holy Spirit was doing that they jumped off the platform leaped the rail and started running. There's this weird thing in Pentecostal traditions that has to do with running. I, very early in my ministry life, I was leading worship at a church, and I remember this thing happening in the worship service, and I, um, I had this urge. We were singing. Actually, the song was about running. It was about running. Like we sang a little song about running to Jesus' arms. This song was about running. And I just felt like this urge, like I'm not going to be able to contain this. I just need to do this. It was so weird. I guess it was from my childhood, right? That wasn't my practice. In fact, I'm kind of a recovering Pentecostalist. (laughs) Like I'm I'm kind of a recovering because I saw a lot of crazy stuff. And uh, so, so I was leading worship and I just thought, I wonder what would happen if I started running. And I had a wireless microphone, thank goodness. And so I, so I just ran down the steps. And we're singing about, and I start running around. And it was a pretty large church. And the craziest thing happened. Everybody just started following me. <laughs> like, like people in the auditorium, they just started following. We had this huge glory train going on all around the It was so hilarious. I had no idea that's what would happen. But people just, and then, and then I went back up on the stage, and then they didn't know what to do. <laughs> so we're not going up there. <laughs> so they went back to their seats, and all was well. Here's what I think so interesting about that. Just, and I, by the way, I had never done that before, and I, I haven't done it since. I don't think you're in danger. I think you're okay. <laughs> but I will tell you that, that there's a nervousness about the Holy Spirit, because I think He is a mystery he is a, a, a spirit that inhabits people, that, that as we're going to see in a few moments, convicts people of sin, that he draws people to the Father. He, he highlights what Jesus has done and what Jesus has said. His whole role really is to profile Jesus. And, uh, and, and so there, he's, he, what happens is he kind of lives outside the confines of our way of thinking. And I think that's what was happening in that service, actually. That service kind of broke open, and God did some cool stuff. What I was doing was I broke the confines of our church service. I broke beyond the borders of what's expected and what's normal and pushed beyond it. And, and I think we should always be sort of willing to do that. Our liturgy is meaningful, but because I don't, I'm not able to be here very often, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a few things that I think are formative for who we are as one chapel. We've always believed we want to be rooted in history with room for mystery. Rooted in history with room for mystery. Rooted in the history of what God has done in the church since the beginning. That's why we say the creed. It roots us. It forces us. It gives us an outline for what we believe. And then, but, but that doesn't limit us. 
There is room for the mystery and the work of the Holy Spirit among us even now. And that's an important idea. So the first thing I want to say about the creed is as we go through the lines, what we can say about this section is the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. If you want to write that down in your message notes, you can. I've left some lines there for you to do that. The Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. The writers of the creed are saying something really powerful and important here. And they're using this this word structure that they've already used in the creed. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord. Everybody say the Lord. The Lord. Lord. We've already said this about Jesus, the Son. And we've used the term, and the Greek word kyrios is translated as Yahweh. Yahweh is using the same word from the, uh, one of the translations, the Septuagint. It's using this same phrase, the Lord. So we're saying that the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. A way of saying He is Lord, not a force, not some galactic force in the universe. <laughs> May the force be with you. No, that, that's not the Holy Spirit. He is as much God as the Father and the Son, and He is the giver of life. What do we say about the Father? The Father was the maker of all things, right? He was outside creation. He made things. What did we say about Jesus in the creed? In the creed, they're saying He was begotten, not made. He came, He was out of the Father. He was begotten, not made. He, without Him, nothing was made that was made. So He is the maker of all things as well. And they're saying the same thing here about the Spirit. The Spirit is the giver of life. If you'll notice in Genesis 1, verse 2, you will see that the Holy Spirit is right there because it says right there, it's in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, what the NIV says. You will see Him all through the Old Testament. He came upon people. He came upon people for great exploits. In the New Testament, He inhabits people. There's a, there's a really amazing journey for the Holy Spirit. You see it all the way through the Scriptures. I mean, if you want a little bit of useless trivia, I'll, I'll tell you that there was a, a conflict in, these, in the phrasing of the creed over proceeds from the Father and the Son. It was a little conflict, and um, it, it, they, they, for, for a long time, proceeds from the Father was all there was. And then the Western churches, I'll, I'll strip it down for you, because as soon as I go into professor mode, everybody goes... But, 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 but he, he proceeds from the fathers how it used to be. And then the Western church started adding, and the son. And the Eastern church said, we don't like this. You're adding something that we don't need. It's not necessary. And their thinking was, it, it, the father and the son are one. They, they, are, they are together as one. So it, it follows that the Holy Spirit. But the Western ch- church started adding this. And then it created a big discussion. And people got mad. And the theolo- theological Issues are not that great. The differences between their two points of view are not that big, but, but the political differences really were, and that was a sad case in the history of our church. In 1054, the East church, Eastern Church and Western Church split, and uh, they've never come back together. I, want, I think it's interesting, though, that there was a split over the issue of the Holy Spirit, the first of many. A lot of people get rattled about the Holy Spirit. If you want to impress your friends at a dinner party, this little thing proceeds from the Father, has a name. It's, it's called the filioque. 
filioque. It's a little Latin. Anyway, okay. Um, with the Father, so here we go. We, we come down to this phrase, with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified and has spoken by the prophets. He speaks through the prophets. All right, are you still with me? Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the giver of life. Let's talk about a, 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 a perspective. And the Holy Spirit's a big subject. So we're, we're going we're gonna to go through this pretty quickly, but I'm going to follow up with it uh, at, a, at a later time. But we're going to look at an angle. Romans 8, 9 through 17. Here's what it says. Let's read it together. It's in your message notes. It says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. Paul is essentially saying, look, you, when, you, when you came to Christ, you have His Spirit within you, and Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. And the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. That's a powerful idea that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead actually lives in us now. It's a huge idea that means, as we've talked about the resurrection of Christ, if the resurrection is true, anything's possible. Change the game. So, everything is possible for us. Why? Not because you're so awesome, not because I'm such a brilliant teacher or pastor or person, but because the Spirit lives in me. All right. So then, verse 12, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. Everybody say obligation. That's a, such a key word. We could spend a whole message just camping out right there. No obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Hey, 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 hey. You don't put to death the sinful deeds of your, of your sinful nature. You don't put that to death on your own, by yourself, with your own power. This scripture says, by the Spirit, you put that stuff to death. By the work of the Spirit, by His inhabiting you. It's not about your own willpower, your own strength to make stuff happen. There's something else going on inside of us. For if you, so verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. This is the miracle, children of God. That's what His Spirit makes us. Verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You don't have to be afraid of God. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. Abba. So another word we could call it Papa. Papa. Daddy. Intimacy. That's what he's talking about. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's kids. And since we are his kids, we are his heirs. In fact, we get everything he has. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. First thing I want you to get here today is the Holy Spirit is the link. Fill in your, your, your blanks on your message notes. He is the link. Everybody say link. He is the link between Christ and the church. Next week, we're going to talk about the church. Who we are as God's people. But listen, 
What happens to so many of us who we talk about Jesus? Jesus is awesome. Jesus is amazing. He's incredible. We love Jesus. Jesus is so awesome in my life. He's doing so many great things. It's incredible. And then we jump right to going and trying to do stuff. Jesus sends us out on a mission. So we love Jesus. We love Jesus. And then we start doing stuff. There's a link in between there. There's a person who empowers us to do what Jesus did. Sometimes we're just like, we're all about Jesus, and then bam, we're trying to do stuff. The link between Christ and his people is the Holy Spirit. Functionally, we move sometimes too quickly from what Jesus has done to the work of the church. We can't do that. Everything, everything about the life of God in Christ falls apart without the Holy Spirit. If you move right from Jesus to doing stuff, guess what happens? Number one, you, get, you, you feel guilty because you can't do it as good as you want to. So you're filled with guilt or you're really good at it and you start being legalistic and mean to other people who can't. That's kind of how it works. So the Holy Spirit's role, if we don't include him... Then, then Jesus, remember how we took, I don't, I don't remember exactly how it came out with, with Pastor Russ, but uh, uh, where I was speaking, we were talking about Jesus being enthroned, that he was lifted up and seated at the right hand of the Father. And because he was enthroned, guess what that means? That means you and I are empowered. We, we have the work of the Holy Spirit. So, so he, if, if we don't understand how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, then that idea of Jesus being enthroned just becomes an abstract concept. Jesus is up there somewhere, and he's doing stuff, I think, and it's awesome, and I know that's good information, and that's fantastic, but you don't really know what to do with it. What do I do with it? The Holy Spirit helps you. The life of Christ, when the Holy Spirit is involved, becomes a living reality by the Spirit. It's a living reality. You begin to live out of it. It's not an intellectual concept. It's a living reality. The Holy Spirit makes all this stuff we're talking about come to life. We live out of the mystery of faith with the power of the Holy Spirit inside us. And so I want to assert something here, uh, that the Holy Spirit is the presence of God here on the earth. The Father is in heaven. Jesus is seated where? At his right hand. Scripture says he's making intercession for us by his acts. And I think by his own prayers. And so if that's what, what, so then where is Jesus? Now, interestingly enough, if you read through the Gospels, you can see that Jesus appeared all kinds of different places whenever he wanted to, through walls and crazy stuff. He just kept scaring all his disciples. That's what, you know, that's what happens. He shows up in a room and he had, his first thing he says almost every, almost in every situation was peace. Why does he need to say that? Because they're freaking out. He's like suddenly he appeared somewhere. So I'm not limiting Jesus and where he can appear, but the Holy Spirit is God's presence. As we were worshiping just a few moments ago, we're talking about Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is here in the room and there's a presence, there's a sense like I, there's something happening here and it's beyond our own ability to make music or to sing loud. <laughs> so this is the idea Jesus sent the Holy Spirit when he left. John 16, verse 7. 
through 15. Here's what it says. It's in your message notes there. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That's what he called the Holy Spirit, the helper. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says. This is how John records it. But you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you. Everybody say guide you. He will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. If you have a, if you have a pen, you want to write that, underline that line, that line right there. Verse 14, he will glorify me. Circle that. You should circle it in your Bible. If your Bible's too nice to mark in, enshrine it in glass and get a new one. Go ahead. Sorry. Some of you are like, what did he just say to me? (laughs) I think it's good to mark up your Bible. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare to you all that the father has is mine. Jesus is saying everything the father's got, I've got. Therefore, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit share all things. That's what Jesus is saying right here. So the Holy Spirit, though, in this segment of scripture is the promise of better, better, a better life, a better experience, a better life with Christ. Listen, Jesus, you got to understand, Jesus said this. He said, now I'm going to go away and it's going to be good for you. It's going to be to your advantage what that scripture said. You got to hear this through the minds of the disciples. They're like, uh, three years of miracles and signs and wonders, and everything is happening. And it's like, I'm, I'm leaving, and it's going to be good for you for me to leave. It doesn't even make sense. God had a better idea. Instead of Jesus appearing everywhere, scaring people, <laughs> the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes and he becomes the helper. Another translation says the comforter. Another says the counselor. Another says the advocate. He becomes our advocate. And it says, you can see this passage right here. He says he's convicting people of sin. He's convicting people of their need to know Jesus, their need for him. When you pray for somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you know what? That, the Holy Spirit starts working on them. <laughs> chasing them down. He helps believers know that they're righteous and they stand firm in Christ. That's what, it, that's what that verse says. He reminds God's people that the, the, the enemy of our souls is defeated. That he's defeated and we can stand firm in that confidence. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And so two complementary ways that the scriptures describe the Holy Spirit. And, it, and, it, and we can look through uh, the writings of Paul. We can look through the writings of the book of Acts. We can look through the Gospels. And, and we see two ways the scripture describes the Holy Spirit. Number one, as a person, God's personal presence. God's personal presence among us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, is what this says. Wherever God's spirit is, there's freedom. And we, who, who, we all who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed. Everybody say transformed. 
transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The work of transformation in the heart of a believer happens by the Spirit. It happens because Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, everything in our sinful past can be taken care of by Jesus himself, but the transformation happens by the Holy Spirit. And freedom comes into the life of a person by the work of the Spirit. I want you to get this phrase right here. Freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. Just think about that. Freedom is not the absence of something. Sometimes we're trying to get away from stuff. We're trying to get rid of stuff in our lives. We're trying to to take care of things. We're trying to make our lives different. You You can't get freedom by yourself. Freedom only comes, and a way of understanding how freedom comes is right here in this passage, and it says we are free wherever the presence of the Lord is who is the Spirit. So the goal is not to do better. The goal is to receive the Spirit, (laughs) to be filled with the Spirit. Listen, transformation, whose job is it? It's not our job. Uh, What? What Don't I have to develop some discipline? Yes, but how would you do that? On your own or with God's help? The helper came to help with the transformation process. So it's God's job, and it's not just a, a new way of learning. It's a new way of knowing. Like we're, we know who God is by the work of the Spirit. And so I think the Spirit of God treats us like a baby learning to walk. Do you ever, I mean, I have five kids. If you've ever experienced this, I don't know if you have. But uh, your, your child learning to walk, a baby when they learn to walk, guess, guess what, what happens? You're, you like see them and they start cruising the furniture. First, the cruising the furniture is horrible. It's a nightmare for a first-time parent. Why? Because you think they're going to fall and gash their head open on any piece of furniture. They're trying to pull themselves up and it's like this terrible process. You're worried about them all the time. So you start doing crazy things like putting blankets on coffee tables and making sure that everything is is safe. Here's the brilliant thing. You know, God already had this in mind. He made sure that little babies could not hurt themselves by making them little and small. (laughs) You don't fall very far. (laughs) It's brilliant in the mind of God. If a baby falls, it doesn't hurt because it's usually not much, not very much force. So, but the Holy Spirit is... The Holy Spirit treats us like a, like a baby learning to walk. And when you see a parent and, and they're, they're, they're trying to get their kid to walk and there's like this moment when the baby starts taking his first steps, right? It's like, it's like okay, come on, you can do it, you can do it, come on. And you're, the parent is right there. And then the baby's like... <laughs> and then what's the baby doing? It's like... <laughs> And he lands in the parent's arms. I think this is how the Holy Spirit does it. The Holy Spirit is saying, yes, you're righteous. Come on, take another step. Yes, you have Jesus. Don't, let the, don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to what your past says. No, you can do this. Take another step. Now, think about it. Parents, they get so excited. Yeah, he took his first steps. It's so awesome. They film it with every camera they've got in the house. It's ridiculous. It's like, people, it's three steps. 
in the realm of significance in their lives, it's minimal. There's a thing here, though, that I think we've got to get that the Holy Spirit is for us. In the passage we just read in Romans, it is by the Spirit we understand the heart of the Father, that we, our spirit joins with His Spirit. And the, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit is holding out His arms, waiting, ready for us to surrender to Him, to walk to Him, to run to Him. And we may not think like it's much, one little step at a time. You don't, have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to run. You became a Christian, and now you're just ready to run. Not to be confused with what I was talking about earlier in the service about running around the church. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, being a Christian and being able to handle it all. That's not what he asks of you. He just asks you to run to his arms. He just asks you to take a few steps to him. It's that surrender to the Holy Spirit that really matters. Number two, so it's God's personal presence. He is personal with you. He is a personal person who is calling you to himself. But two, the way the scriptures talk about the, the Holy Spirit is as a power, God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. You know, very often we think that God is after our compliance or after our obedience. When in reality, all he's after is our surrender. And when we fail or when we make a mistake, we, listen, he doesn't want obedience without our hearts. You can see that all the way through the Bible. The scriptures are full of people who obeyed without being, without accepting what Jesus had done, without understanding what God, who God is or, or what he wanted from them. The Pharisees are perfect examples. They obeyed perfectly, but inside they were rotting. There's something about an empowering presence coming upon us. Acts 1.8, if you can look, look at this scripture, Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus, and he's telling his disciples, I want you to wait here. This is after the resurrection, before he leaves for heaven. He says, I want you to hang out. Just wait. Just wait. And he says, when you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying that the way that you become the best witness for who Jesus was is you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life. That that's where the power is, the power to become a witness. So many times we want to do stuff for God. I want to submit to you that we're not doing something for God. We're doing something from God. Not for God. We're not trying to do stuff for him. He doesn't really. People, he can do anything. He, it's, not, it's not like he really needs your help. In fact, he, he, he manages the affairs of human history to accomplish his work, even the failures, even the wicked people. He has a way that he works through all, the, all of that. And so we, we have to understand we're not doing something for God. We're doing something from him. It's being imparted to us. It's encouraging us. He's giving us his life and power. And so that changes the whole game. It's not about doing something good. It's about connecting to the source of life. When we're trying to do something good without the power of the Holy Spirit in us, it is empty. It is does, it's not workable. In this way, the Holy Spirit is kind of like electricity. 
You got to be plugged in. <laughs> trying to play the radio without, you ever had, I mean, you're trying to play the radio, trying to do something. It's, there's, no, there's no power coming through you. And you're like trying to do all the dials. And I feel like that happens in our lives. Like we're turning all the dials. We're trying to make stuff happen, but we have no plug in. It's not about doing something good. It's about plugging into the source of life. I'm almost done. Psalm 51 is about David. David's psalm of failing. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to my unfa- your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. He has made a huge failure. He's violated a man with, a, with his wife and he's, and he's taken her for himself and then he's strategized to get that guy killed. It's a horrible season in David's life and he's crying out to God and he's saying, I want you to forgive me. Verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me if we only understand salvation in terms of forgiveness we are remiss we have to understand salvation not in just in terms of forgiveness but in terms of empowerment in terms of something else he says it right here he says wash me and cleanse me from all my guilt and all my sin but then he says create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast uh, one translation says a loyal spirit notice verse 11 do not cast me from your presence don't take your holy spirit from me but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit see the holy spirit's role has more for you and for me to give us a willing spirit. He wants to help us. Now this Sunday, or this Wednesday, right? At first Wednesday, I'm going to talk about how we're filled with the Holy Spirit. How we get filled by Him. And we're going to talk about all kinds of other subjects that you might be curious, curious about. Your curiosity is piqued. What does He think about how the Holy Spirit works? How does he see speaking in tongues? What about all the gifts of the Spirit? What's the baptism of the Spirit? I'm going to talk about that on Wednesday night. And then we're going to have a worship time and just let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Right, so, so you can come if you're curious about that. I want you to come. I'm going to talk about it just like I've kind of talked about it, him this morning. But I want, you to, I want you to pause right here. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your head. And I want you to think about what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you now. What is it that, what is it that he wants to say to you? Have you kind of left him out in the cold in your life? Have you been emphasizing other things at the expense of the work of the Spirit in your life? Do you feel as though you're filled with the Spirit? Have you been focusing all your attention on forgiveness rather than on being empowered? The Holy Spirit is here this morning. Jesus has made it possible for you to be forgiven, to be healed, to be cleansed, but there's more. And I wonder if you would want him to do that in your life today. Would you accept it? Would you receive it?
Would you receive him today in a greater measure? Would you just say to, to, to the Holy Spirit, okay, I want to be filled with you. I want everything that you have for me.